This is GSAP Conversations from the Graduate School of Architecture, Planning and Preservation at Columbia University in New York City. I'm Dean Amal Andraus. Thanks for listening. Hi, I'm Shritama from the AD program. And I'm Bieling from the MR program. Welcome back to GSAP Conversations. In this episode, we hear from CCCP student Zoe Cordon-Nailbuff and Professor Mario Gooden on his recent performance working on water. Mario Gooden is faculty and co-director of the Global Africa Lab at Columbia GSAP and principal at Hoff and Gooden Architects. His practice engages the cultural landscape and the intersectionality of architecture, race, gender, sexuality, and technology. The full performance can be viewed on GSAP's website. Thanks for listening. My name is Zoe Cowder-Nailbuff, and I'm a second-year thesis student in the CCCP program. On October 21st, I was lucky to witness Working on Water, a collaborative performance by Mario Gooden, Jonathan Gonzalez, and Tudo Durkak-Somo. Their work insisted and insists on radical witnessing and forms of architectural representation that, quote, refuse authoritative forms of visuality which function to refuse blackness itself. The interdisciplinary and multimedia work took us outside the lecture hall to the courtyard between Avery and Fairweather, to the hull of a slave ship, to segregated swimming pools, to black holes in outer space, and finally back intentionally into the lecture hall, where the physical labor of the performance and the demand on the performers' bodies also came into view. This transporting of the audience also acted to remind us of the work continuously happening in all these spaces when they are not in focus, to remind us of the fallacy of narrative progression, to ask why architecture expects representation in order to accept something as architecture, and what has been lost and erased in that tautological process. So thank you, Mario, for teasing apart those threads so generously. So is the type of work performance lecture a designation that you've chosen? If so, can you speak to how you've come to this kind of presentation and title? And if performance lecture is a title that has been applied externally, what do you call your mode of presentation and and what would you like us to call it? Um, Well, first of all, um, thanks Zoe for that great uh, introduction and and assessment, if you will, of the thing. And I actually, I I call it a thing. Um, I was uh, asked by the Dean's office to present a lecture for open house um, and uh, I did not want to do a straight-up architecture lecture um, for a number of reasons. And this is a, a form that I've been experimenting with. One, because, uh, and this really kind of goes back to something I've been thinking about for, for a while and something that I've written about in my book, Dark Spaces, the way in which architecture and the, and the canon have been exclusive of spaces of black production and black subjectivity. Modernism, if you will, is predicated upon an ideal subject, and that ideal subject was European and male, not black and other. So I wanted to think about how to, let's say, insert ourselves into the, into the discourse and, and into the discourse and the ways in which the representation of architecture, particularly in architectural lectures, are usually through drawings or photographs of buildings or sometimes photographs of models. Is there another way in which to get at subjectivity? For us, that way was to think about this as a performance um, and in a certain way as a kind of non-linear performance. Um, as you said, a performance that's that began in the courtyard and actually it began in the lecture hall with the soundscape, with the, which I'm not sure that most people were aware of, but something was already sort of starting about five minutes 
um, into it, and then to let um, the different forms in terms of movement, in terms of sound, in terms of spoken word, sort of come together or move around the space as a kind of constellation. Maybe the proper word is just to call it a work, not a lecture, really, and maybe not a lecture performance, but just a just a work, I think. In describing your work, I also was thinking about it as a thing, but that word is so, yeah, we are taught not to use that as a descriptive word. Right, um, yeah and to always come up with something better. But yeah, I like that. It feels instinctual. Yeah, I mean, and I, I think I will eventually come up with a better term. It's the only, let's say, word that I have right now because I am also thinking and writing about the idea of black ontology. So thing, being, ontology. So somehow I think it'll, it'll suss out for the next one. On stage, you were placing your papers that you were reading from into a box once they had been read. Can you speak to how you archive your work or where the record of your work exists or where you see it existing, especially given how many different media you and your collaborators are using? Also, like, where does that box go? <laughs> um, you know, well, the, you know, the, the usual archive for architecture is drawings get put into some kind of drawing archive or put into a monograph, into a book that gets put into the library. And uh, as this, again, is a, a new form or an experimental form and something which actually goes back to perhaps a, maybe a year and a half ago to uh, a performance that I was invited to collaborate with uh, Turquoise Dyson as part of her Dark Adaptive Collaborative, which includes Zachary Fabry, who's a choreographer and movement artist, and Andres Hernandez, who's an architect, but also composes soundscapes. And my contribution to that was a spoken word piece called Black Holes Ain't So Black. Um, and then the next similar kind of thing was actually at, at the Gram, which was in response to Martine Sims' work, um, which was also a kind of performance or constellation of movement and images. So in terms of the, the, the archive, you know, this work as a, a work which I see as being multidisciplinary doesn't really belong in any particular place. Does it belong in architecture? You know, if we go down to Avery Library, you know, what, what section of the library does it belong into? So that archival box was, in a way, the construction of my own archive. And in a kind of broader sense, putting black subjectivity in the archive of architectural discourse, in the archive of architectural history, putting, I suppose, that not only that performance, but the work, because the performance included representations, some traditional representations of my own architectural practice, included drawings and model photographs and photographs of buildings. So actually putting that into the archive. The archive, which has, you know, historically excluded, excluded that work. And I also wanted to place the, the stories in the ways in which modernism has been complicit with regimes of power, mm -hmm. um, complicit with segregation. I mean, you you can look at, for example, photographs of buildings from the WPA era, which were, you know, designed, and you see the photographs of black restroom and white restroom, and this is these are WPA buildings that we all sort of think of as, you know, being epitomizing, you know, the idealism, if you will, of, of modernism and of a modern society, but yet the architecture was somehow still complicit in that. So the archive or that box was also about putting those stories into architectural history. Does the 
record, for example, this conversation, but the live stream or the way that the work, the thing, was recorded in the lecture hall. What is the relationship between sort of that record and the record that you're putting in the box? Someone asked a similar question, I believe, during the, the Q&A afterwards. And, you know, to a certain extent, the performance was an event that happened at that particular time in that particular place and, you know, was witnessed by those who were there. Um, in terms of the recording of it or the photography of it, yes, those are representations, but I would say that they are not the work. They do not necessarily capture the work or perhaps are even inefficient in terms of transmitting the work to a viewer, to a reader, to someone who is looking at the work. But yes, you know, at present, you know, the ways that we have in terms of putting that work back out there, of course, are, you know, via the internet or, or you know, social media or, or what have you. So it does exist in that form, but I think that, you know, the performance was very much also thinking about architecture as an event and, and what that means. You, Tudu, and Jonathan so beautifully uh, invoke and explore the work of Christina Sharp, Catherine McKittrick, Diane Brand, Tina Kampt, and Catherine Yusuf, among so many others in the subject and format of working on water. In response to uh, your performance, your work, Mabel Wilson made so powerful a remark about how buildings hate water. Uh, Can you speak to these two together and the significance of working on water being a work within architecture, or at least the School of Architecture? Yeah, um, well, I suppose it's the confluence of a number of factors, a number of events that include a studio I taught last spring here at, at Columbia, um, which was called The Space of Water, um, which was exploring uh, the relationship between black bodies and climate change. Um, and uh, the students and I traveled to Cape Verde, and so we were looking at water as a kind of place of the of a topological landscape, a cultural landscape that brings many different things together from the, from the transatlantic slave trade to the paucity of water to sea level rise. And I've also been reading and rereading Christina Sharp's uh, In the Wake, actually just reading it on the way up here uh, today on, on, on the subway and thinking about the 1619 project and the, you know, what happened for the enslaved Africans who were being transported from Africa to, to the Americas and what, let's say, transformation or what happened in terms of the, and actually I think Christina describes it as, you know, the birth of blackness sort of happened in, in, in that journey. And then in terms of Tina Kemp's practicing refusal, which is something which has now sort of entered my work, that let's not, not yet entered work with the, in the academic studio, but in my own sort of practice. And again, I think this goes back to recognizing in terms of architectural representation, the ways in which architectural representations have always been absent, if you will, of black bodies. One, architectural representations, we never put scaled people in our photographs, right? Or photographs of people in the photographs of buildings and perhaps not even in, in drawings. And usually when you do see scale figures in, of people in, in drawings or in photographs, they are not people of color. So thinking about this idea of sort of practicing refusal and 
uh, practicing refusal in terms of radical modalities that go against modes of representation that refuse blackness itself. So that really was a way of, I suppose, affirming, if you will, um, this mode of presentation for the, for the performance to come up with a different way of, let's say, of, of visualizing um, and giving presence to, um, to our thoughts. I mean, as, as Mabel said during the lecture, when we were in school, you know, these were not discussions that were happening in the, in the studio. There were, it was difficult to, let's say, find a space that seemed to be a space that welcomed us within the, within the discourse or within the making of architecture. So, you know, that was what Jonathan and Tuto and I were trying to open up um, and to understand that it, perhaps we needed to look outside of architecture in order to crack it open. What you were just saying addresses, I guess, my next question, which was if uh, practicing refusal is a part of your classroom, and I, you just mentioned that it's less in the classroom and more in your, in your practice, um, but I'm wondering if it's is something that has come up in sort of your pedagogical practice. How is it something you teach or could teach or invoke, especially in a majority white academic setting? Yeah, well, the um, in the spring, uh, in terms of studio and in terms of uh, my uh, theory seminar that I'm teaching, both Christina Sharp's In the Wake and Tina Camp's essay on practicing refusal are now on the syllabus. And uh, with the students in the studio, we're going to be traveling to, uh, to Cape Town and to do another working on water or space of water studio. But I do think that first, in, in order to, let's say, to crack, to crack it open, to crack architecture open, to, to construct the rupture, if you will, because I think that's ultimately kind of what I'm interested in is what comes out of the, the rupture. You know, for the students, it will be necessary for them to, for us, let's say, to understand the condition that we are seeking to crack or seeking to, to rupture not necessarily in, in terms of creating some kind of other, but in terms of creating something which might even be thought of as being anterior. You know, in relationship to, um, to reading today, I was going back and forth between Christina Sharp and Hegel, of all people, who sort of writes that, you know, Africa was shut off from the world and had no history, right? So I think we have to understand first the, you know, that epistemology that set up that worldview and then sort of understand or then look at strategies of, of how do we crack that open. So it is something that I'm looking forward to engaging with the, with the students. It might be a slower crack, but um, you know, I always believe that first we have to know what it is that we are refusing before we can actually practice refusal. Yeah, thank you so much. Thanks, thanks. This podcast was produced by Columbia GSAP. You can find more information about the school on our website at arc.columbia.edu.